0: All right, we're going to jump into our third video on charismatic gifts we did a video on prophecy a video on tongues and now we're going to do a video on baptism of the holy spirit so first question on the screen here uh, what exactly do we mean when we refer to uh, the baptism of the holy spirit that's a term mainly used by john the baptist in the new testament uh, he says i baptize with water but he who is coming after me will baptize with the holy spirit secondly does scripture teach a second blessing which is baptism of the spirit after conversion is there a sort of a two-stage process first there's regeneration and conversion and then there's a higher level of the christian experience called baptism of the spirit that comes separated from conversion and some christians obtain it some christians do not obtain it and number three uh, if that is true if so is that second blessing of baptism of the spirit is it accompanied by speaking in tongues with the implication that this is a blessing available to all Christians, but not all obtain it. So those those are the questions that we will uh, spend some time uh, working through here. And again, as I say in each video, this has got to be decided by exegesis, uh, not experience. Uh, We have all kinds of different experiences, but that cannot be what determines what we believe. Uh, Someone might ask, doesn't Acts repeatedly separate conversion from baptism uh, of the Spirit? Doesn't Acts show us Several examples of someone being converted and then later baptized by the Spirit, usually with evidence of speaking in tongues. And why is speaking in tongues the result of baptism of the Spirit so often in the book of Acts? Now just remember, uh, when we are dealing with the book like Acts, we are dealing with something that is descriptive uh, as well as prescriptive. Descriptive means it's describing what happened, but not necessarily commanding you to do likewise in every instance in that book. But there are also aspects of Acts that are meant to be imitated and that are therefore in a sense prescriptive. And so uh, Acts is one of the more challenging books to preach in the New Testament because it can be hard at times to distinguish the descriptive, what's happening from the prescriptive, what should happen again and again throughout all of church history. So here's the text that is one of the texts that's so controversial. It's about Philip going down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed the Christ to them. And the crowds paid attention to what Philip said. Verse 12, but when, they be, but when they believed Philip, so they believed Philip as he preached the good news, so they're believing the gospel and the good news of the kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So this looks like conversion. They hear the gospel, they believe in the good news, and they're baptized. And I think it is conversion. Uh, that's what's happening. Verse 14, this is later. Time has gone by. At least a number of days have gone by. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, So that's conversion right there they received the word of god they sent to them peter and john who came down and prayed that they might receive the holy spirit uh, for as yet he had not yet fallen on any of them so here again they were already converted they received the word of god but there's a time gap uh, before they received the holy spirit so they received the word of god but had not yet received the spirit peter and john come down verse 17 they laid their hands on them and then they receive the Holy Spirit. So it sounds like they receive the Word of God, but then there's a gap before they receive the Spirit. So I'm gonna argue in this little video that all truly born again people today are baptized in the Spirit at the moment of their conversion. So every single genuine Christian is baptized in the Spirit and that does not happen later, uh, a year later, a month later, a day later, an hour later, or never. It happens at the same time, baptism in the Spirit is the same as what happens when the Spirit uh, regenerates us and and, and and comes upon us at conversion. So what does the New Testament say about baptism in or of the Spirit? It is mentioned several times, but all except one are re- repeats of one saying from John that I mentioned a moment ago. So John the Baptist says over and over again about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that same basic phrase, uh, paraphrase in different ways appears six other times at least, Matthew 3.11, Mark 1, eight. Etc. You can see the verses there. So uh, we'll mention the other time that the phrase is used not by John the Baptist. It's very significant for our discussion, but that will come in a few minutes, Lord willing. So what is going on uniquely in Acts related to baptism of the Spirit? What's going on in the book of Acts? Well, a text without a context becomes a pretext for a proof text. I've said that many times. It's not original to me. Uh, If if you take a text out of its context in the paragraph within which it sits and within the book within it sits and within the covenant redemptive historic moment within which it sits, you can make the Bible say almost anything about almost anything. So let's look at the book of Acts more as a whole. This is a unique moment. And I want to emphasize the word unique. This is a unique moment in the history of the church. I say unique because this is the place in the Bible where the new covenant uh, intersects with the old covenant era. If you have the old covenant era moving forward in history, uh, you have Jesus come, He dies, and rises, and then Acts really introduces us into the new covenant era. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes right after Jesus's or, or after Jesus's ascension, and then the the new age, the new covenant era begins really there, and the giving of the Spirit in a new and fresh and greater way occurs first at Pentecost and then moves forward. So if you if you think of Acts as the of the sort of the um, the place where the two covenants intersect and overlap, where, where Old Covenant and New Covenant intersect and overlap. Think of the book of Acts as sort of like throwing a rock into a still pond. When the rock hits the center of the pond, you then see a ripple moving out. And that ripple is the New Covenant era sort of taking over uh, the world. And it begins in Jerusalem and moves out into the world. So if you don't understand what that means, and I could get, if that's confusing, look at Acts four. While staying with them, this is Jesus after resurrection, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So the city of Jerusalem is significant. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Look at this, not many days from now. So we know that the the baptism of the Spirit first shows up at Pentecost. Because not many days from now, uh, this phrase right here, is referring back to uh, Acts chapter two. So baptism of the Spirit is going to be what we see in Acts chapter two at Pentecost. Now, not every time baptism of the Spirit happens is it accompanied by speaking in tongues. That's part of the controversy we'll have to address. But it can, it, uh, speaking in tongues in the, in the, in the New Testament can uh, accompany uh, baptism of the Spirit, but it does not have to, I'll, I will argue. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So that's the baptism of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon you, uh, and you will be my witnesses, and this is all important for the book of Acts. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now not, not to confuse here, but Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom of Judea. So Jerusalem and Judea is referring to the southern kingdom and its capital. Samaria is referring to what was left of the northern kingdom, largely. Samaria, which was the half-breeds, right? Between Jews who were usually poor, or poor Jews intermarried with Assyrians after the, after the northern kingdom was taken. And the descendants of half-Jews, half-pagans were Samaritans. Then they had a different temple, different kind of religious way of doing things. It was a very different thing. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at, uh, at the well of Samaria. And she says, Jew, or it's, John says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, they, they don't interact with They don't even share the same uh, water bucket in common is, is the text there. So there was ma- major animosity between Jews and Samaritans. But do you see here the structure of the book of Acts is given us in Acts 1.8. You have, uh, I don't know if I want to write this all, all out, but I'll put Jerusalem and Judea as they go together. And then out from there, you have Samaria. And then out from there, you have the Gentiles at the ends of the earth. So think of it as ripples in a lake. The, the rock hits right here and then the rock, the ripple moves out. It goes from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the, the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. And that's gonna be how the new covenant moves out uh, in the book of Acts. So let's see what it looks like. As I said here, not many days from now, you'll, you'll, you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Let's see what that looks like. Acts chapter two uh, in verse four. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is baptism of the Spirit. And in this particular instance, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. At least in this text, baptism of the Spirit and speaking in tongues are linked together, but that's not obviously always going to be the case. Well, that may not be obvious to some. I'll say, I'm going to argue that's not always the case today. In fact, I would say today, it never happens in association with uh, that, because I don't believe tongues still happen today. But even in the New New Testament, baptism of the Spirit and tongues did not always go together. But in Acts, they often do, and that's important for what we're trying to explain. Verse five, and now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. So remember Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. They were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this, the sound of the multitude came together. They were bewildered because they were hearing uh, them speak in his own language. So here's the point here. God is going to begin with the Jew first, and also to the Greek in the book of Acts, okay? God's gonna renew, uh, restore his people Israel, starting with the Jews. They're from every nation, but where are they? They're in Jerusalem, in the capital of Judea, and the Spirit is poured out, and the initial apostles are baptized by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues. Now, why the speaking in tongues? What's, What's up with that? Why does that accompany being filled with the Spirit? God wants to make publicly known at the initial stages when the when when the new covenant is coming when the spirit first intersects with a new group of people the first time the spirit fills in a new covenant way a particular group of people it is evidenced publicly by public signs usually and if not every time uh, speaking in tongues prophesying those kinds of things so god wants it to be publicly known that the jewish people are being filled with the spirit in a new covenant way that was promised in the old covenant god pours out his spirit and he wants it to be publicly known the spirit is there and so he publicly demonstrates the presence of his spirit by enabling the disciples to speak in other languages other human languages and we talked about tongues in detail in the last video now let's look at Acts 8 1. And there arose in that day when Stephen was persecuted a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem. So look, we're, we're back at Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. So God used a persecution to see to it that the disciples did what Jesus commanded them, which is to move from Jerusalem, the headquarters, the capital, to all of the southern kingdom, Judea, and also to the northern kingdom, Samaria. And so again, like ripples moving out, uh, the people of God are moving with the gospel from the capital to the southern kingdom to the northern kingdom, following the same pattern Jesus spoke of now in acts eight a few verses later now uh, those who were scattered went about preaching the word philip went down to the city of samaria proclaimed to them the christ and they all paid attention with one accord to what philip said verse 12 but when they believed philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom in the name of jesus they were baptized both men and women so just like i said at the beginning i do think these people were converted here although simon the magician was falsely converted if you look at the story but the majority of people were i think truly converted both men and women and they were baptized so they believed in the gospel they repented of sin they were baptized both men and women and there is a time gap here between their conversion and the baptism of the spirit look at verse 14. now when the apostles at jerusalem now when the apostles at jerusalem heard that samaria had received the word of god they sent to them peter and john who came down and prayed with them that they might receive the holy spirit for as yet he had not fallen on any of them but they had only been baptized in the name of the lord jesus then they laid their hands on them and they received the holy spirit (sighs) they received the holy spirit okay so there is a time gap here they are they are converted they they believe and are baptized b and b and then later they receive the holy spirit okay so this time gap had to be at least a number of days for people to go from samaria to jerusalem get uh Peter and John, bring them to Samaria. We're talking uh, a good many miles of journeying here, and then this has to happen. So there's a gap in time of at least a number of, of days. Why was there a delay between the conversion of the first Samaritans and their receiving the Holy Spirit? Why was there a gap in time? That's the question. The Catholic Church has one answer which if you wanna freeze frame this and read it yourself, this is from the Catholic Catechism. They have their own sacramental system view of this, which is, I wanna be humble, but way off the mark, like dangerously false, way off the mark. In their interpretation, you can read that there. Martin Lloyd-Jones, believe it or not, in his book right here, an older book, Joy Unspeakable, Um, power and renewal in the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a wonderful pastor, one of our favorite preachers of the last century uh, in the world, uh, and we love him at our church, but this is an area where Lloyd-Jones, and I say this, I hope humbly, is one of those rare areas where Lloyd-Jones is wrong, and I would say significantly wrong on this point. Uh, Lloyd-Jones, as you can see on the quote on the screen in this very book, says, quote, people can be true Christian believers without having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So in this book, he sharply divides regeneration and new birth and the baptism of the Spirit. He continues, so while a Christian by definition is a man who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in him, that does not mean that he is baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's gonna draw a strong distinction between having the Spirit and being baptized in the Spirit. To me, Lloyd-Jones says, it is very vital that we should see that there is an essential distinction. You can be you can be regenerate, a child of God, a true believer and still not have received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to say loud and clear, we love Lloyd-Jones, but I profoundly and virtually most, most uh, reformed theologians are gonna say, yeah, that's that's not right. So this is from Wayne Grudem. Uh, he kind of has a basic chart here in his systematic theology of what the Lloyd-Jones view and the Pentecostal view looks like. Uh, just to give a story, I, I was once at a uh, person's house who was more of the charismatic Pentecostal persuasion, definitely believed in prophecy and tongues and things of that nature. And the mom of a friend of mine, Uh, she said to me, uh, I think almost everybody was gone at this point, and I I was still at the house, and she said to me, she's like, Mark, I know you love the Lord, Uh, kind of implying you grew up Presbyterian, some more cessationists, she's like, I know you love the Lord, but you know what, when I became a Christian, what really was amazing to me was when I realized there was was almost a second level of experience, a second blessing, and in her view, I believe she thought normally it was accompanied by speaking in tongues, if not every time, I think normally, maybe every time she thought that, and she invited me to ask God to give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Which was normally accompanied by evidence in speaking in tongues, and she had actually led a young woman who had become a Christian recently, uh, who was living, who for a while was living in their home. She was radically converted out of a very broken past. This other girl, and she, she and the husband got together with this young lady who was probably I don't know, twenty-ish years old, maybe nineteen, and a new Christian, and they prayed with her to receive the baptism of the Spirit with speaking in tongues, and that's what they said happened. They were praying together in in the upstairs room at their house, and and she suddenly was filled with the Spirit or baptized by the Spirit, and she began speaking in, they would say tongues. Now, um, I love these people, I love this family. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not doubting their salvation, but I, I wanna say humbly that I don't think that that's a correct view. So th- the view here would say you're either a non-Christian down here, or you're an ordinary Christian, but if you ask for it and you receive it, you can be baptized by the Spirit. So you can come to level one here, but there's also available a level two, which is a Spirit-baptized Christian, which is above uh, an ordinary Christian. And the goal is, let's go to the top level there. Um, that, that, that's the goal. Now, I don't, think, I, I, I don't believe that this distinction is biblical. I think that every ordinary Christian is a Spirit-baptized Christian, and we'll continue here. So why was there a gap in time then between the conversion of the Samaritan Christians and their being baptized by the Spirit? There was a gap in time. I'm saying that does not happen today. Well, in my own words, I would simply say, this is a rare, never-to-be-repeated, once-for-all moment in redemptive history. What did I say? It was like an overlapping of the two eras, two ages, the two epochs. You have the old covenant era and the new covenant era. And there's a stone that drops in the water in Jerusalem at Pentecost and it begins, that ripple begins to spread of the overlap of the covenants and it makes its way to Samaria. And why is there a time lag here between their conversion and their being uh, baptized by the spirit? My answer would be this. Because of this once for all moment in redemptive history, God wanted to preserve in His sovereignty the unity of the Christian church in its infancy and its beginning stages. And This is the first time in all of history that the, the church is being opened up, not just to Jews, but to half-Jews, to Samaritans, to be welcomed in. And we know that the animosity between Jews and Samaritans that naturally existed, uh, much of that, if, I, I guess all of that, was, was sinful and wicked. That's why this, the story of the Good Samaritan is meant to break down that wall. And so what Jesus, what, Jesus, what God does in His sovereignty is what? God says, okay, If I give them the Spirit apart from any move from the Jerusalem church, we could end up with two churches on our hand. We might end up having the Jewish church in Jerusalem and the Samaritan church in Samaria. And that would be a disaster for the unity of the church. So what God does is He converts the Samaritans by His grace and for His glory and they're baptized, but God waits in this once for all redemptive historic moment, God waits to give the Spirit and baptism of the Spirit because God wants to maintain the unity of this early church. So what happens is people go get John, and Peter, who are top-ranking apostles, and they come, and when they pray for them and lay their hands on them, the Spirit is given. Look back here. So they sent for Peter and John, and it says here, when they, Peter and John, laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. This was to make it to where there was no question about the unity between the Jewish church and the Samaritan church. It was one church because the leaders of the Jewish church in Jerusalem put their hands on the Samaritan Christians and the spirit was given in that very moment to the Samaritans maintaining the unity of that early church. Here's how my favorite commentary on the book of Acts was by David Peterson in Don Carson's Pillar New Testament series. He says this, the best explanation is that God Himself withheld the Spirit until the coming of Peter and John in order that the Samaritans might be seen to be fully incorporated into the community of Jerusalem Christians who had received the Spirit at Pentecost. The delay in the sending of the Spirit put the Samaritans somewhat in the position of the Jewish disciples before Pentecost. In other words, in Acts 2, the Jewish disciples were already Christians. Peter, James, and John were already converted probably years before Pentecost, but they, ha- they were still in the old covenant era of history until Pentecost came and the Spirit was poured out. In which case they were already regenerate, already born again people, but they were still in the old covenant era and they entered the new covenant era at Pentecost. And thus there was a gap also for them between their conversion and the giving of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. But that's because of the redemptive historic overlap of the ages and again is an unrepeatable time in history they had a a genuine faith in the risen Lord, but had not yet received the promised Holy Spirit. Neither the experience of those first disciples, that's Acts 2, the first disciples, nor the experience of the Samaritans, that's Acts 8, can be made the basis for a two-stage view of of Christian initiation, either in a Catholic or a Pentecostal sense. So there is no two-stage view. That that is a faulty view. Uh, It's not understanding the redemptive historic moment of Acts. These were unique events in salvation history, Peterson writes, not the normal pattern of initiation known to Luke. And I think that's exactly right. These are unique events in salvation history. And that accounts for the gap between conversion and filling with the Spirit. John MacArthur agrees with this. MacArthur says, now the tendency of the Jews is going to be to make the Samaritans second-class Christians. If not, if Christians at all. So to ensure that this did not happen, the Spirit of God allowed those Samaritans to be converted. But at the moment of their conversion, they did not receive the Holy Spirit and they were not baptized into the body. That did not happen there. Why, MacArthur asks. Because the Spirit of God wanted some very important Jews to be there when it happened so that they would know that indeed it happened just like it had happened to them. Filled with the Spirit, with evidence, probably speaking in tongues, I think, happened there in Acts 8, although it's not explicitly said. It says that there was a power seen in them, probably the gift of tongues and prophecy, just like in other examples in Acts. MacArthur says, and the two most important Jews alive in the world, Peter and John, were Peter and John. And so not until Peter and John went up there did the Spirit come. Why, he again asks, so that Peter and John could come back and say to the Jews in Jerusalem, you will never believe it. The Samaritans got the same thing we got. It's the same thing, the same gift of the same spirit. So once it's known that the same spirit was given to the Jews, that was given to the Samaritans, now we've got to include all of each other in the same church. And to have the leading Jewish Christians present when the Samaritans received the spirit was critical to the unity of that early church. MacArthur says, you see, this is bringing together the body. Grudem agrees. Grudem says, a better understanding of this event in Acts 8, would be that God in his providence sovereignly waited to give the new covenant empowering of the Holy Spirit uh, to the Samaritans directly through the hands of the apostles so that it might be evidence to the highest leadership in the Jerusalem church that the Samaritans were not second class citizens but full members of the church. I think that's exactly right. He continues, this was important because of the historical animosity between Jews and Samaritans. And because Jesus had specified that the spread of the gospel to Samaria would be the next major step after it had been preached in Jerusalem and the region of Judea. So if you remember here, Jerusalem and Judea is the first place the rock hits of Pentecost. Then the next ripple hits Samaria. And then the next ripple is gonna hit where? The ends of the earth or the Gentiles. That's the next place this is going. So where's the next time we see this happen? Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort. He is a Gentile God-fearer. So he has not converted to Judaism. He is a Gentile, but he fears the God of Israel and gave alms. Verse 28. He said to them, you yourselves know how it... Peter is saying to Cornelius, the, the Jew is saying to the Gentile, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation like Cornelius, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter says, look, God is changing things in this new covenant era. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Jewish believers are amazed because why? The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So again, why tongues is mixed with baptism of the Spirit in Acts is because as we're moving from Jews to Samaritans to Gentiles, God is publicly evidencing that the Spirit really has fallen on them. So you can't see if the Spirit has filled somebody. I mean, yeah, you can see their joy and whatnot, but you can't see the Spirit in someone. But if the Spirit does signs and wonders like speaking in other known languages and prophesying, then there's immediate objective public evidence that the Spirit has been given to a new group of people. And because Acts is formatted to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Gentile ends of the earth, that's the format of the ripples of the the wave. As we move from Jerusalem to Samaria to ends of the earth, God is gonna show publicly in front of others, including Jewish Christians, that the Spirit has been given to each group. And the way he does that is through signs, namely tongues is the normal way that that would be done at that time. And you see the result. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Why would they baptize them to enter into the church who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he says, look, same thing that happened to us at Pentecost happened to the Samaritans. So we included them in the church. Now it's happening to Gentiles who are not even converts to Judaism. We cannot withhold water from baptism to enter to let them enter the church. We're all the same people of God because God has given the same Spirit to even Gentiles. Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. The next chapter, excuse me, Acts 11 repeats the same story because it was so controversial, and it, Peter recounts the story like this. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit, Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, here it is again, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we know for sure that what's happening here is baptism in the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So when God gives the the, the baptism of the Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues to different people groups, You better not stand in God's way. God will do what God pleases in the new covenant era. God will do this and we will not restrict God's freedom. God is showing us that he's opened the door to Samaritans and Gentiles. When they, the Jewish Christians heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, here's the conclusion, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Gentiles as Gentiles can enter into the church because they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Last example of this, Acts 19. And it happened that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So this is back to baptism of the Spirit. They said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he, Paul, said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So these people are caught in that redemptive historic time warp that I told you about with the ripples going out. They're caught in the old, they're still living as if the old covenant was true. They know John the Baptist, but he lived and died before the new covenant. He lived and died before Jesus uh, died and rose. So they're living in 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 a redemptive historic time warp, back in an old covenant way of thinking. They're under John the Baptist. They're not yet, I don't think truly converted, by the way. I don't think that these people are truly converted. And verse four, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus, but they don't fully get the whole message of Jesus and the baptism of the spirit. On hearing this they were baptized in the name of the lord jesus so now they fully understand the gospel they're believers and when paul laid his hands on them just like acts 8 with peter and uh john the holy spirit came on them and they began what speaking in tongues and prophesying there were about 12 in all so once again uh, we see that tongue speaking accompanies the filling of the spirit here in this example so again god is publicly bearing witness to who has his spirit so, summarize it like this. People are baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues only in these particular texts. Jews in Acts 2, Samaritans in Acts 8, although tongues is implied rather than explicitly stated, most people think that there were tongues there, Acts 10-11 with Gentiles, and then finally, although slightly different from the other ones, followers of John the Baptist who thought... There was a big idea at the time that john the baptist was a greater man than jesus and that's why the new testament is at pains to say no john himself said he's not worthy to untie the sandal straps of the messiah jesus so the these groups here these four different occasions you have um, a unique situation where the ripple is moving out from jews to samaritans to gentiles and even followers of john the baptist so this is descriptive These texts are descriptive of a unique once for all moment in all of redemptive history where the new covenant hits like a rock causing a ripple that spreads from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the Gentiles, and even the followers of John the Baptist. It spreads out, and that's why you have a unique situation going on here. But how are we to think about baptism of the Spirit today? We are not living in the book of Acts. We're not living in the overlap of the two eras. Uh, We're living entirely in the new covenant era right now. So... Is baptism of the Spirit a second blessing that we get later in the Christian life? Is it accompanied by speaking in tongues every time? No, no to both of those. So here's the most important verse on baptism of the Spirit or with the Spirit or in the Spirit that we have in the New Testament other than the ones said by John the Baptist that I showed you were quoted six times. It's Paul, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. This verse is so critical to this view, to the view that I'm arguing for. For in one Spirit, we were what? all baptized into one body whether jews or greeks slaves or free and we all were made to drink of one spirit so this is very important in one spirit we were all baptized into one body so here it's clear all baptized whether jew or greek slave or free we were all made to drink of one spirit every so who's baptized into the one body by the spirit or who has the baptism of the spirit? All, all believers, all who are made to drink of one spirit. Every truly born again person has been uh, baptized by the spirit, in the spirit, with the spirit. However you want to exactly say that, uh, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So if you're a believer, you're in the body of the church and you got there through being baptized in the spirit and made to drink of one spirit. I think that verse is critical to understand this view. So there is no, there are no Christians today, to go back to the chart, there are no christians today who are just ordinary christians down here who have not yet gotten to the top level of spirit baptism that this category uh, does not exist that that is not something that the bible is teaching no this verse says into one spirit we were all baptized into one body everybody jew or greek slave or free all of us are baptized in the spirit regeneration and receiving the spirit is the baptism of the Spirit, and there's no separation in the new covenant era, which is where we are living. And the situations in, like in Samaria are unique, once for all time, redemptive historic moments. Wayne Grudem says it well. Listen to his words in his systematic theology. Quote, as far as the apostle Paul is concerned, baptism, so he's quoting here, baptism in the Holy Spirit occurred at conversion. He says that all the Corinthians, all the Corinthians were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the, result, and the result was that they became members of the body of Christ. Again, he repeats the verse, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So uh, if you are converted, you are baptized in the spirit. He continues, baptism in the Holy Spirit, therefore must refer to the activity of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the Christian life. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is referring to the beginning of the Christian life. When he, the spirit gives us new spiritual life in regeneration. So against Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm gonna argue that baptism of the Holy Spirit and regeneration happen simultaneously. They happen at the same moment. But this means, Grudem says, that it cannot refer to an experience after conversion. So it cannot refer to an experience after conversion as the Pentecostal interpretation would have it. So we're we're gonna strongly disagree with the Pentecostal interpretation of the second blessing. Grudem says, after affirming that all believers are baptized in one spirit, Paul goes on in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, to teach that not all Christians speak in tongues. and This is so significant. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 12, 29. Are all apostles? Rhetorical answer, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No, not even in the first century. Do all possess gifts of healing? No, and here it is. Do all speak in tongues? The implied obvious answer is no. Uh, All do not speak in tongues. Do all interpret? No. So Paul does not teach that Tongues is available to all Christians, even in the first century when that gift was certainly functioning. It was not available to all Christians, any more than every Christian has the gift of teaching or prophecy or whatever. And no, even in the first century, not all Christians had the ability to speak in tongues, but they were, they were all, once you entered fully into the New covenant era, they were all baptized in the spirit. So uh, baptism in the spirit, Paul would say earlier in the same chapter, everybody is baptized in one spirit. We're all made to drink of one spirit, so everyone 's baptized in the spirit, but later in the same chapter, not all speak in tongues. That tells us that uh, baptism in the spirit whoops baptism in the spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit does not equal uh, tongues or does not always accomp- is not always accompanied by tongues and I would say the gift of tongues has ceased. you can see the last video on this on our on our YouTube page um, But even if you believe the gift of tongues happens today still, you would not argue that it has to be part of spirit baptism. So I'm gonna argue tongues doesn't happen at all. But even if it did, it's not a necessary part of spirit baptism, uh, no matter where you're looking at here in church history. So how are we supposed to think about the spirit today? What about being filled with the spirit? I'll I'll end on this note. Ephesians 5.18 says it like this, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And I'm going to argue that this, this is something that we should be seeking all the time. We could be filled over and over and over and over, endlessly filled with the Spirit. Every day we seek to be filled with the Spirit. We, as we pray together and read Scripture and sing together uh, in this room on Sundays, in the sanctuary, we, we ask God to fill us with the Spirit. This is a, th- a recurring thing. So here's how Grudem says it. Paul, in that verse, uses a present tense imperative verb that could more explicitly be translated, be continually being filled. With the Holy Spirit be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit uh, thus implying that this is something that should be uh, repeatedly happening repeatedly happening to Christians so yes be filled with the Spirit be being filled continually with the Spirit that's a continuous command but that's not the same thing as seeking spirit baptism you already have that if you're a believer in Christ you are already baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, here are examples just a couple quick ones Acts 4a then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them he was very bold to the, to the leaders. Acts 4.31, same chapter, when they had prayed, so they prayed together, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So you pray, uh, you, you, you gather together, and you seek that you be filled with the Spirit. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak boldly. So this is, this is something that, that happens over and over and over again. We are filled continuously, constantly seeking to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, that is what we should do. So uh, to go back to the original thing and to come to a conclusion here, what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is the new covenant experience of the Holy Spirit that takes place in the life of every Christian at the moment of regeneration and conversion where the Spirit takes up residence in our heart and in our life. If you're a Christian right now, you are baptized. You have been baptized into one body in the spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says. Question number two, does scripture teach a second blessing, baptism of the spirit after conversion? Again, as I said, even the great Martin Lloyd-Jones said yes. And he's one of the few in the Reformed conservative, evangelical movement today who would would take that view. I will say a profound, I hope humble, no. That is a dangerous teaching. It is not true. Uh, There is no second blessing, but there are... Second fillings of the Spirit, and third fillings of the Spirit, and fourth, and a hundredth, and one thousand, and one hundred and twelfth fillings of the Spirit. Uh, be being filled with the Spirit. You can get the second blessing, third blessing, fourth blessing. I mean, don't call it the second blessing because that's confusing theology because people mean something else by that language. But how many times can you be filled with the Spirit? As many times as imaginable. Until your dying breath, you can be filled with the Spirit thousands and thousands of times throughout your life. And that's what we do. That's when we seek to read God's word, to, to study scripture, to pray together, to sing together, to fellowship together. We are seeking a deeper and deeper and richer experience of God's spirit to be filled and refilled with the spirit of God. But that's not second blessing theology. And that's not a separate baptism of the spirit. Number three, if scripture teaches a second blessing of baptism of the spirit after conversion, is it accompanied by speaking in tongues? Again. I don't think scripture does teach a second blessing of being baptized by the Spirit after conversion, but even if it did, no, speaking in tongues does not uh, have to accompany that. So to put all that together, baptism of the Spirit happens at conversion to all Christians. There is no second blessing, but you can be filled unlimited numbers of times, as many as God will give us and we should seek that. And number three, no, speaking in tongues does not accompany uh, baptism of the Spirit. I would say right now in this moment in redemptive history, I would argue in the last video, prophecy in tongues have ceased. I don't think that they still happen today. If that is true, if that conclusion is true, then speaking in tongues today never accompanies baptism of the spirit because millions of people get converted in every generation right now, but I don't believe tongues happens truly ever anymore. Now, if you don't believe me on that, that's okay. You can go back to the previous videos if you wanna see uh, the video on prophecy and tongues for my arguments there. But I would argue as a cessationist, every Christian's baptized, but no Christian speaks in tongues and baptism is not a separate blessing. It happens at the moment of conversion. So I hope that's helpful and not more confusing. If you have questions, you can leave them in the comments down below. And thank you for watching.